So today, as part of our Upside podcast series, which is powered by Sports Tech Advisors, we have the honor to interview Elaine Zaykovsky, a PhD retired professor from Boston University and performance consultant. Uh, so, Elaine, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on, Julian. Looking forward to the interview. Great. So, Len, you know, what I wanted to uh, do today is talk about how you started your career in biofeedback and then how important biofeedback is to players' mental health and how it can impact their performance. But I also would like to get your thoughts on your experience working with professional teams like the Spanish the Spanish national soccer team and then also your view on technologies and, and so on. How does it sound? Sounds beautiful. Yeah, it's got an area I've spent most of my life in. Yes. Great. So... Uh, so, Len, how did you start your career in biofeedback? Well, it started when I was really a graduate student. I've always had an interest in technology for sure. But interesting developments happened in the, in the 1960s where people like Dr. John Basmagian in, in uh, Ontario and Barbara Brown, California, Neil Miller, Joe Kamaya in California, also Tom Budzinski in Colorado, and others uh, started publishing papers uh, that described how with sensors placed on the human body, you could record physiological functions that you could, up until then, had never been done before. And then they found out that amazing if you gave them the, 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 the person feedback uh, on the heart rate signal, for example, or the muscle tension signal or the brainwave signal, they could learn to self-regulate it. And... Uh, Neil Miller was, you know, was incredible when he showed that, that that animals and humans could could learn to self-regulate heart rate, and people thought that that was not possible. Hmm. But it, it was amazing research then published in the best journals, and they formed a kind of a loose association uh, that ultimately turned into be the Biofeedback Society of America. And I was a grad student reading that stuff, and I said, you know, this is all about self-regulating stress responses, and I was working primarily in sport. Uh, and I thought, why couldn't the same concept be applied to sport? So I joined up with these founding people at, at meetings and, uh, and and started writing papers on how we could use biofeedback in sport uh, to self-regulate stress responses in athletes. And uh, uh, not only uh, publishing papers, but giving talks at major conferences. So I was probably from... <laughs> The research I've done, the first person to really kind of make a case for using biofeedback in sport. So that was my kind of my early entry. And I continue to publish papers every several years, train many graduate students using the technology. I got wonderful support from the thought technology people in Montreal who, who really had a passion for applying biofeedback, not only into kind of clinical concerns in psychology and medicine, but also to sport. So... Uh, I stayed with it all my 40 years at Boston University and continue to do it uh, today as a, as a private consultant. Well, that's fascinating. So you kind of were a pioneer, right? Uh, I guess time. you could describe it that way. <laughs> yeah. I always tell people, you live long enough, you know, you, you go back a long way and make a little bit of an impact. So, yeah, I got known for that, interestingly enough, Julian Nuss. People refer to me as the biofeedback guy. Okay, great. So in your opinion, right, so how important is biofeedback or neurofeedback, you know, to players' mental health and, and how it can impact their performance over time? I mean, could you share some of the anecdotes that, uh, with us about where biofeedback has helped improve the performance of players that you work with? That, that, that's a great question. Uh, you know, 
for sure, there's plenty of evidence in the mental health field and and, and medicine in general that biofeedback uh, technology used properly with guidance can really teach good, strong self-regulation skills, and uh, and and you know many you know different modalities. We use muscle EMG temperature regulating temperature biofeedback, heart rate, and now heart rate variability. Likewise for you know, sweat response or what we call skin conductance, and of course the brain, which it's interesting. EEG used to be part of biofeedback, and but then uh, later on, probably two decades ago, neurofeedback became the term to describe the biofeedback of the brain. Uh, so as I said earlier, there weren't many of us kind of already working in this field. Uh, Sue Wilson in Ontario was was doing uh, sport and biofeedback. Eric Pepper in California. Bruno De Michelis uh, down at AC Milan was started using biofeedback and kind of coined the idea of the mind room. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I started, uh, I used this very successfully training uh, grad students and student athletes at Boston University, uh, where I had a, a program in, in, in performance psychology. Uh, Lindsay Shaw did a wonderful dissertation with elite uh, college gymnasts on heart rate variability and EEG. Uh, but when I went, to, when I left Boston University, I retired and, and went to uh, to work full-time for the Vancouver Canucks in the National Hockey League 2010, I, I presented them with the opportunity to, to start what we call, I call the mind gym. And essentially, it was psychophysiology biofeedback to train self-regulation skills uh, to the uh, professional ice hockey players. And it's such, it was such a new concept to, to pro athletes, although, it, as I mentioned earlier, been used in Europe at AC Milan, and, and Bruno de Michelis introduced it also at, in Chelsea Football Club, and I later did it with, in, in, with Real Madrid when Walter de Salvo was there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'd have to say I've had some really good success when I was with the Canucks. Uh, we didn't publish any of that data. It was considered to be confidential. Um, but I, I got a call just this last week uh, from a former player who's now mm. since retired, and he's in player development work. But he said in his last club he was with, he was told that we're introducing a new concept to you. It's called heart rate variability. And he was a wonderful uh, player who just really loved this technology in, in Vancouver. And he said, you know, Doc was using this stuff 10 years ago, guys. Uh, so it, it's kind of some of this stuff is really slow to catch on, but yeah, I, I've taught many a player to it, 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 to teach to, teach them how to self self regulate their stress responses, uh, primarily using um, uh, heart rate variability and respiration. I think you're right. Like we we've had conversation, I've had conversation with teams about neurofeedback and biofeedback, and depending on the leagues and the teams, for for many, many of the teams, they just don't know what it is. I mean, they it's kind of an unknown to them, right? So yes, it's a big educational effort. It was it was constant education, and of course, you have to deal with the coaching staff too in pro sport. Too. That's right. You know, you have to try to explain that to them too, and and, and if they're considered what we might call old school coaches, uh, you know, they're kind of skeptical of it. Uh, so it's it's always pushing a boulder up a hill, but I think we've made some wonderful progress, and particularly with the advancement in technology and gone from great big stuff, the uh, size of a piece of furniture, down to microchips uh, uh, attached to your body. That's right, yeah. So, you know, obviously right now we're, you know, in the world of COVID-19, right? 
uh, I think many players are must be under more stressed, right, than usual. I mean, would you agree with this this assumption? And how do you think biofeedback can help there? Well, for sure, this uh, and I'm you know you know on a certainly not daily, weekly basis working with uh, uh, professional clubs and uh, talking to players, and and yes, there is that uncertainty there. You know, they they have a uh, you know they're at the top level because they have a certain amount of resilience and mental toughness, but they're human beings also, and they have this incredible uncertainty that brings brings upon increased levels of stress, kind of their own safety, their own uh, and their family's safety. Uh, they're concerned about their careers as well. The season ending, when's it going to start again? So yeah, these all pile up, and uh, and uh, the problem, you know. It, it, is that it came on so fast that most clubs weren't in a position to get them ready, that they're away from the training facility and they didn't even have basic physical training stuff, let alone uh, uh, equipment that could help them in self-regulation of stress. Uh, But the the good news is that there are plenty of of good apps out there. We just have to educate the players and the clubs about the availability of these apps to teach uh, self-regulation skills. That's a good point. And then, and very few of them had uh, any any uh, apps that tied into even small pieces of technology they could have at home to help them with the stress response. Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, I, I love soccer personally, and and we've worked with many soccer teams over the years. But you know, from your perspective, what was it like for you to work with the national? Uh, Spanish soccer team during the I think 2008 European Soccer Championship, right? I mean, they won. They ended up winning the championship that year, right? So that's right. They won the AFA Cup in 2008. But most of my work was in 2006. Yep. With uh, Luis Aragonés was the head coach of the Spanish national team. That was, I would have to say, Julian, probably the highlight of my professional career, working in all sports around the world. Uh, it it, it kind of really opened my eyes to what high quality uh, football soccer is you know here in north america we up in, to that time weren't getting much of it for sure mls was around then but uh, and then at the at the collegiate level but certainly not at that level and and the quality of the players that the, the spanish team had in 06 uh you may remember that in the world cup was in germany then we lost to France. I know, sorry I about think that. Round of yeah. sixteen, and and yep. it was a, a good club, you know, but it was like a, a close game. Um, but then, in the same team, virtually same team, with Aragonist in two thousand eight. Yeah, they first time Spain won anything that was significant, and the country was just went nuts over that. And then uh, Aragonist retired shortly after that, <clears throat> and uh, I'd moved to Vancouver. By then, and was working full time with the Canucks, so I wasn't with them in 2010 when they put on that magnificent performance in World Cup in 2010. Yeah, and and I remember watching the the Spanish team playing, and it, they were just like kind of a rock, right? I mean, they were so prepared, and not just mentally and physically. I mean, it sounded like he couldn't. It was very difficult to play against them, right? They were, and and they they just had a, a wonderful collection of players. I think you asked the question whether any I was able to use any biofeedback with them in preparation, yep. self-regulation skills. It wasn't, wasn't possible because I had my lab set up in Boston at Boston University. You know, back in 06, um, portable equipment just virtually non-existent. 
but I taught them self-regulation skills, important to kind of re regulating their respiration, teaching them breathing techniques. Uh, you know, it, you know, as the, the stress of the contest was appearing, and then it, you know, all these players they were so good that it would just disappear once the game started. That's right. Uh, and they had just a tremendous uh, uh, work ethic and 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 uh, respect for each other. I know that was one of the concerns that the coaching staff had, uh, but given that players from, from all over Spain and were playing all over Europe, and then bring them together for a short period of time, get them prepped, uh, would there be a little bit of dissension? They all had pretty big egos, but no, they blended so well as a team. And, and in the game of soccer football, nothing more important than having working together as a team in order to be successful. And, and for that reason, they were. But yes, we worked on kind of the stress response as a big part of their preparation. That's great. So at a person level, what's the most challenging part of your job and then the most fun part of your job? Well, what's happened, Julian, is I certainly left academia to go work in professional sport. I wanted to give something back. Uh, you know, everything was from the ivory tower, but now working with coaches and elite at an elite level, I've virtually traveled all over the world. Uh, working with Olympic organizations and uh, and pro clubs and uh, giving advice. So uh, after uh, leaving when the National Hockey League on, went on strike, I decided that I that uh, I, I should try just kind of doing some consulting work and a little bit more writing. Uh, so I'm still working though with human performance and kind of lowering stress response. I learned a lot about the importance of recovery. Um, and, and, and use heart rate variability for helping athletes recover, a big part of what I do now. And I'm also helping organizations with talent identification. Now, that doesn't involve a whole lot That's of psychophysiology, yeah. at least at this point in time, but, but uh, I've had many years of experience in that, and professional organizations <laughs> want my expertise there, so I'm doing quite a bit of that. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, it, it's still, uh, I'm, I'm a I'm a born professional educator. I believe in the importance of education. So that challenge we have of dealing with coaches and, and, and management, uh, to you've got to educate them on kind of how we can use contemporary methods, including use of technology to help players and themselves get better at what they do. Uh, they're resistant to change, but I think uh, as good educators, we can kind of change that a little bit. And the other thing I'm doing, Julian, uh, you probably know that I wrote the book called with Dan Peterson, my co-author, called The Playmaker's Advantage, That's right. which was a pretty strong look at kind of the importance of decision making in sport and making quick, quick and accurate decisions on the pitch, on the field, on the ice. Uh, not many people have written about that. It's gotten wonderful traction all over the world. Uh, we're still talking about it to different groups. And, and Dan and I have decided to write a book too, to get more into kind of how do we train decision making kind of the that instead of how do we integrate it into uh the training that we do physical training on the field on the pitch uh on the ice uh can we integrate decision decision making exercises so that the players can get better at making quick and accurate decisions and in most sports like soccer like hockey like basketball it's huge very important and Yet, we don't have a history of training that. 
So we're putting a big push on that. That's great. So congratulations on on your book. And I got to get a copy of it. Um, so I know that you also serve as a scientific advisor for several sports tech companies, right? And you're also a bit of an entrepreneur yourself. So can you talk about that as well? Yes. Uh, thanks for asking, Julian. I got involved when I was in Vancouver with a company out of Montreal called Cognizance Athletics that developed the NeuroTracker. My good friend, scientist at the University of Montreal, Jocelyn Fulbert, developed it. It uses a multiple object tracking to to kind of speed up the decision-making process in athletes. And when I first brought it to Vancouver, they thought I was crazy. Like, <laughs> what's that got to do with mm -hmm. hockey? Because you're tracking objects, but they they look like tennis balls. And they didn't feel it had any resemblance to hockey. And it, But it doesn't really have to. But now that concept has caught on. So I still advise them from, from a science perspective. I started work also with Fatigue Science as a science advisor. Yeah. They're a Vancouver company that does sleep monitoring. I think you mentioned to me that you're familiar mm -hmm. with them. Uh, and we started uh, sleep monitoring as part of recovery in Vancouver. And that was in 2010, 2009 maybe. And that has gotten traction all over the world with pro sports, um, not necessarily using fatigue science products, but they're using other products to help athletes learn about the importance of sleep and recovery. Uh, so there, and then uh, I'm also working with another Vancouver company called Brain Health um, uh, that they deal with acquired brain injury. So I serve on their science board to do some brain training work to enhance their, their performance. Uh, another company I've started advising uh, for is uh, one that you'd probably be interested in because they get into virtual reality technology yep. called Sensorina out of uh, Prague, Czechoslovakia. Mm -hmm. They've just moved into North American market. Unfortunately, the timing wasn't great because That's of the right. virus outbreak, but they've got a wonderful concept of, of teaching not only motor skills required for hockey, but also the cognitive skills, perceptual and cognitive skills that are necessary to make quick decisions. Is on that the different? So I'm excited we're working yeah. with them. Is that yes. different from Striver Labs that had built like a VR training system for quarterbacks in the NFL? Yeah, Striver Labs has been around for a number of years. It, it, it's different in the sense that it integrates kind of separately, the decision-making component. Uh, so what, that's what I really love about it, that there's a you know, separate module that deals with cognitive, perceptual cognitive decision-making. Mm -hmm. So given that I have this huge interest in, in how to enhance decision-making, I thought it can work it, 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 their ideas, and they're still working on them, and uh, I was excited to help them kind of develop what we know from the neuroscience field to to teach that. And what's interesting is the developer came from a basketball oh, background wow. in the Czech Republic. But, one, you know, like most parents, uh, why did you, when I asked why he's interested in bringing it to hockey first rather than basketball, well, my kid is crazy about hockey. <laughs> so, so that's where you go. Uh, but uh, I, I'm excited about working with, uh, with uh, Sensorina and uh, also I'm still quite heavily involved with a conference that I helped organized in San Francisco called the Sport Biometrics Conference late November, early December. It's been going on since 2016, where we bring the best uh, uh, sports scientists to San Francisco to share information on uh, kind of the biometrics that are taking going on in that particular year. Whether that'll be uh, live this year or uh, virtual, I don't know, but it, we're still still planning That's for great. it. Uh, so that, that's kind of what I'm involved in. But uh, I also did a little entrepreneur work when I left Vancouver to start 
bring the idea of indoor positioning to hockey and, and to basketball. You know, the European teams are doing uh, GPS work for, for a long time, so have the Australians, New Zealanders. Uh, but it, it, didn't, it, it didn't get any traction over here, particularly, well, we couldn't do it indoors. So I partnered with, uh, with an engineer colleague in Florida, and we started a company called Biocam to try to develop it. But it was a, an uphill battle because of the expense of getting you know, state-of-the-art uh, uh, tracking uh, uh, devices. Uh, and, uh, and then what happened is that other companies that were well-funded got into the market. Catapult jumped into the indoor market as well, and then others as well. So we were a small fish and then kind of dropped out of it. But it was a great experience for about four years. And then more recently, with a couple of colleagues that in, in Denver and at, at, at Southern Illinois University, Dr. Fatty, uh, we developed a, uh, an app to teach um, pitch recognition in baseball and softball. The company is called GameSense Sports. Uh, you can check yep. it out on the web. Uh, but it uses the scientifically demonstrated, uh, well-documented method of uh, visual occlusion. And what that means is that if, if you, your listeners can appreciate baseball, uh, the, you, the the batter is watching uh, on his tablet or his phone, real live pitcher throwing the baseball at 80 or 90 miles an hour plus, um, and you have to determine uh, whether that pitch is going to be a, a fastball, a breaking ball, or a changeup, and whether it's going to be a strike or a ball. But the the only thing that's shown is part of the release, right at the release point. We can we can change the release point, but we do it fairly early. The idea is to teach the batter to recognize what kind of pitch that is by studying carefully the videos. And then once they make the decision on their tablet, what kind of a pitch it was, whether it was a, a ball or a strike, uh, either right or wrong, and you just keep rehearsing and rehearsing, practicing and practicing, and we have many, many pitchers in an extensive library of, of pitchers. So during this uh, uh, virus attack, we've had wonderful success with from the baseball community where they're, th th this allowed them to try at see. home. And it's unfortunate we didn't have other kinds of <coughs> sports uh, and apps to deal with the training of other sports. We're just, we're just perfecting baseball and softball. But we'd like them to be able to move into soccer and ice hockey and other sports. That's down the line. But that, this would have been a wonderful time to have that kind of device to train on your couch, uh, just watching pitches and 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 learning uh, to recognize them. Uh, it's uh, you know well demonstrated, uh, documented, scientifically proven method, and uh, it and it relies on what we were talking about earlier. It's not biofeedback, but it is feedback. To enhance performance, so we're pretty excited about it. We we just got a nice grant from uh, uh, TechStars to develop a tennis app for Tennis Australia. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, this virus stuff messed us all up. But uh, we're moving forward into other sports, and I think uh, that approach is going to be very successful. Successful, including the use of some virtual. That's great. So well. you look like you're a busy man. No question. So. Well, yeah, it's beats the right. alternative. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, you talk about technology, and so there's a growing number of innovative technologies in the biosensor space, right? So we're even seeing, like, the emergence of what we call contactless biosensors, 
Uh, there's a lot of companies like that in Israel, especially. Uh, one called VAR, and will be like a tiny radar, and they can sense and measure things like heart rate, stress, even sometimes blood pressure without any contact to the skin. And that sounds like crazy, but that's really what they've done using a tiny radar and then some algorithm, right? So how important is technology to your job and when do you see, where do you see the world uh, of biofeedback evolving over time from a technology standpoint? Well, that's exciting news to hear. You know, the Israelis have always been pretty advanced in their use yep. of technology and algorithms. Uh, <coughs> I, excuse me. Yeah, the sensors have always been an issue with athletes. It was so nice to see the kind of the micro developments. <coughs> excuse me, but if we can move down into not even being attached to the body, and it is valid and reliable. That would be amazing, because now we don't have to, you know, athletes don't worry about how this might impede their performance on on the field, on the ice, the pitch, uh, having sensors yeah. on their body. They've always resented that, and in particular when when EEG started to make a move, they, nobody wanted to wear any electrodes right. on their head. And I fully understood that, and that's why EEGs had such difficulty catching on as a feedback system. Uh, heart rate, heart rate variability, much easier. That's gotten some pretty good traction. Skin conductance is easy also. So, yeah, that's great news to hear. And uh, I'll be reading about that. And I'll be still making my case for the importance of different forms yep. of feedback to help athletes better self-regulate, not only stress responses, but other kinds of activities. Yeah, and I'm happy to sure. put you in touch with some of those companies that we know uh, we do that, right? So oh, we know many you. of them, and, and uh, uh, amazingly enough, most of them are, many of them are in Israel, uh, and there are different levels of commercialization. But some of them, one of them in particular, like Veyer, they raised $200 million, right? $200 million. And a lot of people have never heard of them. Uh, it's just amazing, right? So... Uh, well, that's right. That's what happens. You know, we're not, we weren't trained to be strong marketers. So we find that a little bit with game yep. sense too. But that's the kind of group we'd like to get to the, excuse me, sport by. I think you stuff. should. Yeah. So, um, look, yes. I, we are at the end of the, the interview, but I wanted to thank you for, for your time. I know you're busy. So, uh, thank you again. And then, uh, it was great. Thank you. Well, thank you, Julian, and I think your company is doing such a wonderful service uh, to inform uh, the sporting world about technology in particular and how it can help their organization and helping vet, you know, what are the real good devices uh, and what's... Exactly right. That's exactly our focus. Uh, by, well, thank you. Thank you, Lynn. My pleasure. Right. Thank you, Julian. Bye-bye. That's exactly our focus. Uh, by, well, thank you. Thank you, Lynn.